Um, I was going to eat kettle corn at the beginning of this just because it's the end of the season. I thought it would be fun. Then I looked on the bag of kettle corn that I bought and I realized it was uh, grown in Iowa. So I decided, nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you can wipe your ass with the outside yeah. of it. <laughs> exactly. That kind of sounds like a plan. But uh, yeah, no wonder it tasted like crap. Two generations. One passion. This is Generation Red. How many tackles can one man break? Touchdown. Cross to the middle. Juggle. Snap is down. The kick is up. The kick is. Get that way. And the kick is. Well, here we are. Got to recap Iowa, the game that we thought we would win, but we didn't. Anyway, it's Generation Red here, Ken and Scott with you. Ah, the kettle corn of Husker Fan Podcast. You know the drill. We're going to try not to be too salty, but who knows? This one is not going to be a lot of fun, but we'll get to that in a minute. First of all, we will uh, take a look at the uh, six-pack picks of the week that we did last week. Take a look at Rivalry Weekend and how much fun that was, aside from, of course, the game on Friday. And then, of course, we'll go over Iowa. We'll give you our players of the game and um, give you a few takes from Twitter from some fairly prominent folks who comment on, um, on college football. And they have some interesting insights into Nebraska football that I hadn't really thought of. And it was really good stuff. So we'll do that. And then, of course, we are going to give you our plus-minus results, which was the last plus-minus game of the year. Why? Because we're not going to a freaking bowl, damn it. <laughs> so uh, our results are that I ended up winning, uh, but uh, there is a couple of people that played the plus-minus game on our Facebook page that also are winners and will be able to join us on a couple of live streams in the off season. So we'll announce those toward the end of the season, end of the show, and uh, give you some information on some other live streams we're going to be doing in the off season, and all that good stuff. So that's pretty much what we've got in store for you. I am Ken. I am one of the hosts, and holy crap, what a year to start a podcast, right? Yes, I am Scott, your other host, and this was. One of those seasons. Well, it's actually uh, like all the other seasons where we <laughs> the feel last like, four anyway. yeah, where we feel like we are just so close. Um, we just need to tweak mm-hmm. a few things here, focus on attention to detail in a lot of small ways, and we could go a long ways with our program. And this season caps off as the worst uh, win loss record under Frost that we've seen and it was just a complete and total statistical anomaly throughout the entire mm-hmm. season and we finish off the season going three and nine and mm-hmm. it doesn't feel very good um there are a lot of things that we can look to as positive but ultimately there's mm-hmm. just uh, a lot to be desired with the husker program and this game was uh, a perfect, uh, uh, like, like uh, example. It was a perfect example of how the season has gone, where 
we get three fourths of our of our game correct, and then there's one one quarter of it that we don't get right, and that's literally what happened. And mm-hmm. yeah, so we're just gonna have to go into this off season with uh, probably a lot more pessimism. Um, and really, this is gonna be Frost's. It, he's make or break, really, for Frost. Uh, he's got to do something. He's got to find a way to get six wins next season because um, this ain't it. <laughs> uh, this, well, yeah. this, this will not do. Um, but at the same time, there's just a lot, like the, a lot of things that you can look at from this season that that were just we haven't seen before. Um, I think one of the things that we noticed when Bo Pelini was here or when Mike Riley was here was that when the going would get rough, our our team would give up. And we never saw that. It was it was such an insane thing to see us lose nine games the way that we did and never see anybody give up. Um, they always mm-hmm. fought. They always uh, they always had a red tooth and claw, and they were willing to do whatever it took to win. Uh, it just didn't ever it just didn't ever pan out. But that's just kind of my overall thoughts. I mean, that was probably a little bit too much just for the opening opening segment, but, you know. No, that's absolutely fine. I, you know, I'm kind of right there with you. And, and that's some big picture stuff that we can talk about in our next episode, which we will talk about coming up here in uh, next week, because we will be talking specifically about the entire season. We'll try to not get too long-winded, but go through each game and pick out a player or two that if they'd gone differently, where would Nebraska be? this year uh but let's not cry over that spilled milk yet we need to cry over the spilled milk for this week after we talk about the fun that was rivalry weekend because for me uh this was in 10 years easily at least 10 years since i've seen a rivalry weekend that was this much fun and a lot of the games that contributed to that uh at least three of them i watched three of them exclusively i watched um, the game, Ohio State and Michigan. I watched Bedlam that night, and I also watched um, the Iron Bowl, which I didn't want to because it's SEC, but I had to because it was really compelling for three and a half quarters. <laughs> Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> so let's go over our six-pack picks of the week. Uh, the first game I had picked last week was number four Cincinnati against East Carolina, and they freaking smoked them. I was worried that it might be a trap game. Uh, but it wasn't. Luke Fickle is a hell of a coach. And uh, I think he's kind of sitting around waiting for Ohio State or perhaps Notre Dame to open up. Because I think those are about the only two programs he would go to, especially since he coached at Ohio State. Uh, but Brian Kelly has said he's coming back next year. Who knows if he's coming back beyond that. Uh, so anyway, Luke Fickle, they have placed themselves in prime spot to be in the um, in the playoff if next week they win indeed that uh, AAC championship. But, yeah, they smoked them 35-13. to 13. We both picked a win, so we were 1-0 at that point. And then the game, or the rivalry as it's known, where number two Ohio State went to Michigan and basically got slapped around 42-27. to 27. There was a point there in the third quarter and maybe toward the end of the second quarter where I thought, oh, God, here comes Ohio State. But Michigan responded every single time, and that score was a little closer 
than really the way Michigan dominated them. So, and the scene after the game, I don't know if you caught much of that, but basically the entire field was full for like 45 minutes after the game ended. It was really cool. It was a good was scene, but we party. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it was an absolute party, which for us, it really isn't much of one because we both picked Ohio State to win. So we both took the loss there. And uh, then my third game is, like I said last week, my absolute favorite rivalry game, uh, Bedlam. Number 10, Oklahoma lost a thriller to number 7, Oklahoma State. Uh, 37, do I have it? 37-34? I thought it was 37-33. Whoops. I might have wrote that down wrong. But um, yeah, goodness sakes. It was just, it was 24-24 at halftime. So you thought, God, this is going to be a game where they, they both score in the 40s. Nope. Defenses kind of took over in the second half, a lot of turnovers, all that kind of stuff. It was just a typical Bedlam game, and we both picked OSU to win, uh, which doesn't happen very often in Bedlam. So we picked right. So yeah, we both went, we both went two and one on my three picks. How about yours? Yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah, it was thirty-seven, thirty-three, and that second That's... half of the Bedlam game mm-hmm. was crazy because. OU didn't score offensively that entire second half. That Oklahoma State defense just absolutely dominated mm-hmm. um, because the only two scores that Oklahoma managed to acquire was a safety that they mm-hmm. that they got off of Oklahoma State and a fumble return for a touchdown yes, uh, at the goal right. line. So mm-hmm. um, it was just a it was just a, a an outstanding game. I only watched bits and pieces of it because I was actually in Omaha for uh, the majority of the day. Um, I didn't even get to see the Ohio State and Michigan game. I was out shooting some guns and getting some practice in and zeroing my zeroing mm. my rifle. Um, but nice. yeah, it it was it was just a like you said, it was an outstanding weekend for football. Like definitely mm-hmm. one of the best uh, rivalry week. Re- rivalry weekends that you could ever want and a great way to cap off the 2021 season especially when you are an outsider in nebraska land looking into teams winning games uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) it it just kind of at least it soothes the pain a little bit more when you watch other teams and you're like wow so that's what a winning team does to win Mm -hmm. games interesting so yes uh so for my picks, the first one that I had was uh, the Iron Bowl, number two, Alabama. They escape Auburn with a 24-22 to victory in a four-overtime game, which in the entire history of the Iron Bowl, they had never gone into an overtime game until this one. Uh, mm. So that was an interesting fact. And Alabama, in Alabama fashion, somehow finds a way to win the game, especially going into the well ending the fourth quarter with a one minute 97 yard drive uh being down uh being down oh what was it 10 to 3 something like that or was it yeah they were down 10 to 3 until the last minute of the fourth quarter and the reason alabama had that much time to drive was because a a wide receiver for auburn caught a pass and should have just gone turned it inside and went down whatever many yards he could get but instead, he cut it outside, and an Alabama player literally, literally ran him out of bounds and saved 40 seconds on the clock since he went out of bounds. If he doesn't do that, Alabama doesn't win. So it was yep. kind of like watching us play. If there's a mistake we can make at the end of the freaking game to give the game to the other team, we made it. And that's what Auburn did. So anyway, continue on. Sorry. 
Yeah, it was just a crazy. It was a crazy game. Uh, it was just an, a defensive showdown, and then mm-hmm. yeah, going into four overtimes. I know that there's a lot of guys and podcasts and on uh, media outlets that don't like this overtime rule, but I actually kind of like it. Like I've I said it from the Penn State Illinois game from from our uh, game preview or whatever whatever podcast we had that featured that. Um, mm-hmm. I liked it then, and as time has gone on, I still like it. Um, it speeds up the game. It creates a different dynamic of excitement where you get one shot. You get one shot, and if you mm-hmm. fail, you get one technical shot to shut the other team down. Um, and it really, uh, it really highlights coordinator genius or play mm-hmm. call genius like you have to pick the right play and that goes for both sides you have to pick the yeah. ultimate defensive play you can possibly scheme up to account for whatever ultimate offensive play that the offensive coordinator head coach has schemed up so mm-hmm. i honestly like it going against the grain there but it was an exciting win for Alabama. I was hoping Auburn would win that one uh, because it would have just felt great to have Alabama just barely get pushed out of the college football playoff, uh, excluding the possibility of them uh, winning their SEC championship. But I digress. I will move on. Uh, next game that I had was the uh, the Egg Bowl. Ole Miss. Ole, Ole Miss. Uh Number eight, Ole Miss handles Mississippi State, thirty-one to twenty-one. It was just a very sloppy game for Mississippi State. They yeah. did not look like they were ready for it, um, and I don't really have anything to say about it. I tried watching it, but it was just such a a, a terrible game to watch. If I'm being honest, but <laughs> Ole Miss yeah, manages it, it. Ole Miss manages to win it. Good for good for Lane Kiffin and crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Lane Kiffin, right? Yeah, yep. it's Lane Kiffin. Um, I'm still trying to learn all these all these college football landscape facts. <laughs> um, so yeah, that I ended up taking an L on that one. Dad gets a dub, and then the last game on my slate, both Dad and I lose. Uh, we both predicted Penn State to win mm-hmm. at Michigan State, number twelve, Michigan State, and in a close game, uh, Michigan State edges Penn State thirty to twenty seven. I didn't watch that game. Like I said, I was fairly busy over the weekend with the holiday. I tried to watch as much football as I could. The two games that I did end up getting to watch was the Bedlam and the Iron Bowl. So uh, that pretty much caps it off. Uh, I end up going three and three. Dad goes four and two. So dad is now 22 and 14, and I am 25 and 11. Uh, Shoot, man! I wish I would have picked uh, Michigan <laughs> to win that game because I said it in the last podcast. I was like, I really want to pick Michigan, but it's just yeah. you would have to. I mean, Ohio State has had Michigan's ticket for you know mm-hmm. eight games in a row um, since two thousand and eleven. At least I think I have that stat right. I know that the math doesn't twenty eleven twenty twelve one of the two. Yeah. Yeah, might have been twenty twenty eleven. Yeah, because it's odd odd number of years is is at Michigan. And this is twenty twenty one. So yeah, it's been twenty eleven since they beat them, I believe. Yeah. So so. Um, but yeah, it was it was a really like I said, it was a really exciting weekend for football, and mm-hmm. uh, I I really like the pick six um, previews that Dad and I decided to do. I think maybe a few games into the season after I just was 
highlighting kind of games that games to watch and interesting results and then that just kind of evolved mm-hmm. into this pick six preview or not pick six preview uh six pack preview i'm getting that mixed up don't trademark uh infringe us their pick six previews um <laughs> but uh <laughs> Yeah, the six-pack picks of the week is a fun little segment that we got going now, and I'm sure we'll carry it on to next season. But that was a great way to finish it off. I'm sure that we're going to keep – we'll probably keep it up here if we have a couple – we're going to have a couple more episodes uh, before the beginning of 2022, literally beginning of 2022, not just the season but the actual year because there will be some bowl games. There will be some bowl games and some some interesting – uh, matchups. Well, and you got a playoff coming up too, so that'll yes. be fun to talk about. Exactly. Um, and the coaching carousel. There's lots of lots of crapola out there to talk about besides Nebraska. <laughs> Even though yep. Scott Frost has some serious, um, well, he's got to make his bones. He's got to make a home run higher when it comes to his offensive coordinator. He's got to figure out what the heck to do with with special teams, all that good stuff. Which, who knows. By the time we do our season recap episode, we might have all those answers. I I have a thought, and this is just a thought that I have off the top of my head. Tell me if you think that this is a realistic uh, possibility. What if, well, you said the only two gigs that Luke Fickle would want to probably take, which I think you're probably right, would be Ohio State or Notre Dame. Notre Dame is probably a better possibility to be coming open because I think Ryan Day pretty much – as long you mean as he Brian Kelly. Yeah, yeah. No, I was saying I was just saying uh Oh yeah, Ryan Day's not going anywhere for a Ryan while. Ryan Day's not yeah. going anywhere. So uh yeah, I'm thinking that there is a possibility and this is just me being uneducated. I have no wherewithal when it comes to the coaching carousel or what coaches are thinking or what their desires are or any any mm-hmm. sort of history behind them, but wouldn't it make a strategical sense if, let's say, Luke Fickle left Cincinnati after this year and decided he wanted to be an offensive coordinator for a Power 5 team that their head coach might be going out the door, say, if that, that season that that head coach uh, doesn't end up being productive? And what if that team was Nebraska? Mm-hmm. Um what if Luke Fickle found his way here, be, become our offensive coordinator, uh, right behind Scott Frost, give him some uh, some actual experience with uh, with an offensive uh, scheme that Frost could trust, and he would be out of his dang mind to not listen. And if let's say the season ends in six and six, and Trev Alberts doesn't like that, even though we go to a bowl game or something. Mm-hmm. Or we go five and seven, miss out on a bowl game, and well, Frost gets fired, and Luke Fickle ends up acquiring the head coaching job. Um, and and on top of that, he could fixate himself as our offensive coordinator, get him, give himself a resume, and if another coaching job opens up that following year, um, he could just leave as the offensive coordinator altogether and go get that marquee head coaching job that he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just something I was thinking of, uh, honestly, it was like last night or this morning, um, a little bit of both actually. I was like, well, I, I know that's like a long <clears throat> shot. It's not really feasible. And I don't know what Luke Fickle's mindset is. I doubt he would want to do that, but that would just be an interesting thing for, 
Husker Nation, I think. It's an extremely long shot for two reasons. Number one, I think Luke Fickle's at Cincinnati, and he's extremely successful at Cincinnati for one reason, and that's to get the heck out of the group of five and get himself a head coaching gig at a Power 5 school. I think that's why he's there. I think that's why he's been so good, and I think that's why he's turned down other offers from other schools who have come calling over the last couple of years. Um, number two, the reason it's a long shot is because he's a defensive coach. That's his pedigree. He was defensive coordinator at Ohio State back in 2011 when he took the interim role on with uh, after Jim Tressel was let go because of Tattoo Gate. Um, yeah, now we have NIL, and Jim Tressel would still have a job if we had NIL back then. But anyway, <laughs> uh, Luke Fickle's a defensive coach. He's not an offensive coach, so I doubt he would be a guy that Frost would look at for an offensive coordinator. But there's a lot of dudes out there that are going to be looking for jobs. For example, Lincoln Riley's offensive coordinator, unless he goes with Lincoln to USC, which was broke. The story was broke earlier today that that uh, Lincoln's going to USC um, unless his offensive coordinator goes with him. Technically, he has one, but Lincoln calls all the plays. Kind of sounds familiar, except it works at OU for the most part. Uh <laughs> I'm not sure who Frost is targeting. I have a feeling we're going to know who it is by the time the next time by the next time we record a podcast. I think we'll know. I think we'll have an offensive coordinator, and I have a very strong feeling we're going to have the other three coaches as well. Um, well, so, then I'm yeah, glad that's I gave why my, I don't think I'm glad Luke I gave Fickle my, would be a good point. Yeah, I, I was just going to say I'm glad that I gave my disclaimer because that's a perfect example of that. I don't know what the f*** I'm talking about. <laughs> Um, and, <laughs> and there we have our first bleep, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and that's okay. You know, like I, I, we've never claimed for this podcast and more specifically, I will never claim to be an expert in, in any regard. I'm just here r running my suck. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, I guess I should have at least done a little bit of legwork and looked up Luke Fickle's, uh, coaching archetype <laughs> that he's not a fucking <laughs> offensive coordinator. Uh, Leap number two. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> ooh, that's embarrassing, folks. Uh, just no, disregard. That was all for the memes. Um, <laughs> yeah. There was no genuine, genuine, uh, uh, you know, truth behind my opinion. It was just 100% for the jokes. I'm just kidding. I'm just a dumb dumb. So, um, but no, that's that's thank you. Thank you for correcting me on that. Um I will scratch that off of my of my whiteboard of irrelevant opinions and well, <laughs> and we'll, well just yeah, I hope that we get an offensive coordinator announcement uh mm -hmm. probably yeah before and before if the I could say something off. something real quick just not to not to give you any more crap that you don't deserve but um no, anybody that's it. out there Anybody who's listening to us who's sitting there going, well, why wouldn't Scott take a look at somebody like Mark Helfrich, who used to be the head coach at Oregon when Scott was the offensive coordinator? Here's why that's a bad idea. Number one, I don't think Helfrich is going to be too keen on working for the guy who used to work for him. Number two, Mark Helfrich got his butt fired the very next season after Frost went to UCF and he no longer had him as his offensive coordinator. Why would you hire an offensive coordinator who was a failure once you left his team? So I don't think anybody who's thinking Helfrich is, is on the list needs to just kind of not consider that. I think Helfrich is good good on TV, uh, but I don't think he's good with a headset on his head. 
Um, he was a pretty good offensive coordinator for um, Chip Kelly back when Kelly was running the show there at at, uh, at Oregon, and Frost was the wide receiver coach. Uh, but I don't think Helfrich is a good candidate to be the OC here. Frost needs to find a guy that can figure out how to get an offensive line to block the run. He needs to find a guy that wants to run power out of that spread and can take advantage of if he decides he wants to keep if he hires a guy that wants to run first before pass, he needs to find a guy that's going to take advantage of uh, Logan Smothers' talents and is not afraid to really coach these running backs up and this offensive line to quit being quit being soft, for God's sakes. I mean, they weren't really soft on Saturday until stuff started going sideways. Then they got a little soft-looking to me. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's my thoughts on the offensive coordinator and all that good stuff, which we can talk about. In our next episode, who knows? We probably will know who that is at that point, and we'll have a little bit more insight. So I guess we've put it off long enough. We've talked about things that are a little more fun to talk about than the crap show we saw for <laughs> for uh, the last quarter on Friday. So we might as well get into uh, how close Nebraska was, yet how far away they were to winning on Friday. What do you think? Yeah, let's just let's roll into it. Um, if I could get ESPN to leave me alone with their mute, unmute, mute, unmute, go away. Well, you figure that out. I'll insert the uh, stinger music and then we'll talk about Iowa. <laughs> All right, let's go. <laughs> well, Scott and I were in the stadium and for three quarters on Friday, we had a hell of a good time. But uh, quite frankly, I spent much of the game going, wow, Nebraska's playing well, but damn it, we still have a fourth quarter coming. And that's always been the problem with Nebraska. They look good. They get things done for the most part for three quarters, unless, of course, they're behind for most of the game. And then they figure out a way to lose, which is exactly what happened on Friday. So we're really not going to talk about too many of the final stats. Usually I do, uh, but it's just getting depressing. Because in many ways, Nebraska beat Iowa uh, in total yards. They beat them in passing. They beat them, well, not quite in passing. Oh, yeah, they did. They beat them in passing. They beat them everywhere everywhere but rushing and the final score and time of possession. But uh, that's neither here nor there. For most of the game, Nebraska owned the time of possession. So it is what it is. It's the same old story with somewhat different numbers in a different game, but the same damn result. The only difference is Nebraska had this game won for three quarters instead of trying to come from behind for three quarters. And now we've just got to talk about what we watched. I don't know about you, but I thought Logan Smothers played well until that final quarter. What did you think of watching him play? I thought he looked pretty dang good. I think the way that they called the play calling for the first three quarters mm-hmm. with him was... More than sufficient, obviously. We were mm-hmm. up, um, yeah, 21 to 6 at some at one point. Uh, it looked – he looked good. And when he needed to throw the ball, he did He did a pretty dang good job at doing so. Um, it didn't look like he was overthrowing or underthrowing guys. He just kind of put it right where they needed to, especially that little uh, – that little uh, – I don't know what the term would be where he kind of threw the ball short to Omar Manning so that he could come back to the ball um, mm-hmm. where only Omar could get to it because the defender had yes. basically committed to the kind of slant route that he was going on and he had the uh, he had the the angle 
uh, Omar Manning had the angle on him and was able to just cut it to the inside. And Smothers put the ball exactly where Omar could get to it with two def- two other defenders on the left and right side. You know, just those kind of little things that were were very promising to see. Um, but, dude, I, I just want to kind of uh, wheel back um, around to what you said. It's like you would think our assumption would be, okay, if we have a game where we're not playing from behind and we actually have a substantial lead, is that something that that changes the mindset of our team and helps them uh, cap off a game? And this game was a perfect example of that not actually being the case. Uh, that, nope. <laughs> that even with a uh, even with a 12-point lead going into the fourth quarter – we still managed to basically get shut out and mm-hmm. have 22 unanswered points um, to lose the game. And that was just like the most frustrating thing to witness. Um, but I think I think Smothers looked good. He only had one interception, and that was right at the end of the game. Um, mm-hmm. I think probably, I don't know if you have this uh, written down in your notes. I, I just kind of skimmed through them, so you might, but... I really think what turned the whole game around was when Smothers fumbled the ball, landed on it with on the final play of the third quarter. Yeah. Um, that was – I remember you and I were sitting there in the stands, and I watched it happen. And, you know, we go into the fourth quarter. We do our little, uh, you know, our, bread burn, our red burns brighter without the actual red and without anything burning bright yeah. or anything. We just kind of listened to the song and got a little bit hyped up. I I didn't really get into it because I was just sitting there thinking, was that the turning point in the game? Like him fumbling mm-hmm. it and landing on it. Yeah, you could recover from that. That's something you can recover from. But at the same time, the mental psyche of our entire team this year and for mm-hmm. honestly the entirety of Frost is has been, oh, is this where we – lose is this is this the change in the game is this where we let it go and we lose grip and that was that was where i felt like the whole momentum of the game shifted while it didn't seem like it in the stadium i kind of just felt it um right then and there Mm -hmm. and then yeah it was it was, and the reason why i said great play calling for the first three quarters is that fourth quarter play calling was just garbage it was just a dumpster fire it was was. so bad it was like we whatever it was that we were doing for those first three quarters it was like frost threw it completely out the window and said okay we can't do this anymore we have to do all of this crazy foofy um fluffy stuff and instead of just asserting our will which we did for three quarters Mm -hmm. we decided to do all these little swing passes and and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to pass the ball on first down. I get it. We're in. No, I don't get it. I don't get it. Why are we down on our six yard line? And the yeah. first two plays that we that we call are two pass plays. What are you doing? Like, why are mm-hmm. you doing that? That doesn't make any sense. Just give the ball to Yant or do a triple option, read option, whatever, and run it up the gut. Run it up the gut or just cut it to the outside. Get a couple yards. Yeah. Get outside of that that tight window inside of our own red zone. Mm-hmm. What are we doing? Like, 
I well, know that that's. They, I know that that doesn't answer. I know that that's like an extended answer to your question about how I felt about Logan Smothers. But those are, all of those things culminate together. Mm-hmm. That that I look at it like Smothers did great until Frost called took him plays. out of what he was good at. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, it was, was. It was interesting because they uh, Frost said it in his uh, post game uh, press conference that the that. Iowa in the second half, and especially going into the fourth quarter, had really switched up what they were doing with their linebackers. They took that outside run away on the option, uh, because if you notice, we really didn't gain a lot on the option in the second half, uh, except on that one drive after we got the turnover, it seemed like we went right down the... But going in, going up the gut wasn't happening, because their one linebacker was just... He just wasn't having it, so uh, we were kind of screwed. We were just kind of screwed. I, I, I wish we'd have kept pounding up the middle like they did because it ultimately wore us down, but we didn't. But I loved watching Smothers for the first three quarters running the option. He only ended up with 64 yards rushing, and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that he got sacked in the end zone. Probably took away took away about 15 yards of his, uh, of his rushing totals. And I thought the tight ends blocked really well all day on the option. They were really... Doing a good job, uh, especially Chancellor Brewington. There was a couple times he pancaked people, especially on one of Logan's uh, touchdown runs there near the goal line. If you watch the <laughs> – it's on Twitter, it's on Facebook where he literally – they said he should have been arrested for the way he hit the guy. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I think our future is pretty good for dudes that know how to block uh, going into next year. So I thought he was good. Austin Allen. In this game, broke the school record for yards receiving by a tight end in a single season. And that was a week after breaking Junior Miller's all-time receiving yardage record for tight ends last week against uh, Wisconsin. And then, of course, he announces he is leaving and he's going to the NFL draft. He must have gotten a hell of a grade. That's the only thing I can think of to not come back for another year. Or he just said, I'm, and I'm going to have to bleep this, I'm sick of this shit. <laughs> it's time for me to go. Yep. Uh, so I don't know. What did you think of, I mean, he only had two catches for 55 yards, but both of them were big and continued drives. And, uh, I thought Austin was great. I thought Teray was great. Only 102 yards away from a thousand yards for the season. Considering how badly they locked him down in the first few games of the big 10, that's pretty damn impressive. Uh, so he was an absolute gem of a get from the transfer portal. Uh, so yeah, Austin and Torrey, they finished up their careers at Nebraska. What, what do you, you have any thoughts on both of those guys as far as uh, what they mean to this team? Yeah. As much as I am bummed out that Austin Allen wants to go to the NFL, I don't blame the guy. He spent a lot of time Mm -hmm. injured and has spent a lot of time watching our team, uh, Mm -hmm. not really take the steps necessary to uh, change the results in the win loss column. And as a guy, I mean, yes, he's still got Sean Becton as his coach, but there's a good chance that our entire offensive scheme could change going into 2022. And it's Mm -hmm. not that it would make him irrelevant. I just think that maybe that wouldn't bode well for him in Mm -hmm. the NFL scouting kind of world. Um, And yeah, man, like if he's as good as we've seen him and as I'm sure NFL scouts see in his potential – it's 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 a no-brainer move. Like go to the NFL, collect your check if you make it into the, 
you know, you're not going to make as much money if you get drafted in the sixth or seventh round. But if he proves himself like he thinks he can and like I think he can in the NFL, that pay grade will go up if Mm -hmm. he is as good as advertised. Um, So I don't blame him. Uh, I'm going to miss him. I wish he would stay for one more year. But at the same time, I don't blame him. And I just wish nothing but the best from for the guy that came from hometown Nebraska, you know, Aurora, Nebraska. I mean, he yep. he bled he he bled and and beat himself up for this team. And so mm-hmm. I just hope that um, uh, uh, Carney and uh, shoot, I'm blanking on the other guy's name. Top 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 uh, tight end recruit that we got. That's that's. Got an ACL oh, injury. Fedoni. I think. Fedoni, Fedoni. Goodness gracious. He's been playing. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Uh, I think they'll fill in his spot more than sufficiently. Well, and I think Vocalek's back. So. Uh, oh yeah, that was going to be my next question. Was yeah, is Vocalek coming back? I assume. I assumed he was, but isn't he a junior as well? Um, I think so. I think he's like going to probably take advantage of his extra COVID year. I think he's coming back because he hasn't had enough. Uh, stuff on on uh, on film and that makes to really make perfect a sense for so, him. Yes, he is. And a he's junior. up in that. He's he's like he's a lot like like uh, Austin. He's up. He's six five. You know, he's a good sized kid, good big target. So and great blocker on the edge. So um, yeah, and then seeing him some, come back will be good. And then Samari was was just was money all year. He was he was lights out. Uh, mm-hmm. I wish I would have been able to yeah, see him get that 1000 yards. Um but a lot of it was just kind of hard to achieve um with what we were given um in game mm-hmm. situations. Uh he was seriously like explosive player of the year for Nebraska. Like I mean, if you were to just look at his stats, I mean, I don't know what they actually are. But I guarantee you that 50% of more than 50%, I would say like three quarters of every catch that he caught were for 35 plus yards each time. Um, Like he was just, yeah, like you said, he was an absolute gem from the transfer portal. Um, And I'm proud of the dang guy. Um, He came here Mm -hmm. and put up a dang resume. He did a really good job at Montana. Um, and I think that he will find himself getting drafted in the NFL just simply because of his athleticism and his ability to make plays. Um, I just wish nothing but the best for the guy. He was an absolute baller. Yeah. Samari was a great kid, uh, worked hard, uh, set the standard for the room. I'm really hoping, (laughs) I'm kind of hoping we go to the portal and find another guy like him or that Omar actually gets his poop in a group and uh, kind of starts leading that room next year because he's coming back as well, which I like. I like. Uh, let's see. Let's move on to special teams because, quite frankly, I think they literally cost us the game, and Frost even said it in the post-game press conference. He said uh, once that punt was blocked for a touchdown, he said the game was over, which is a pretty telling thing for the coach to say, even though we were still leading by, what, five at that point? Mm-hmm. Um and Pristop, he had a couple of good punts, but or two or three, I think. I think he only punted two or three times. Uh, third one was blocked, <laughs> so uh, he averaged thirty-seven yards a kick, which he should have averaged quite a bit more than that, especially with the wind at his back uh, for a lot of the game. Um, so yeah, special teams. I, I mean, what forty-three or something like that points that our team gave up. On special teams, not on defense, 
uh, not pick sixes, none of that stuff, just on special teams alone. Nebraska gave up 43 points this year, and if you cut that number in half, there's a really good chance that this team is sitting minimum 6-6, six and six, right? Don't you think? Yeah, and then we left off the board 40-plus points from yeah. our special teams. We gave up, and we we did not acquire yeah. 40-something points. That's over. That's basically 90 points that were either given to a team or that we did not get mm-hmm. because of special teams. And yeah. if you look at that that anomaly of a stat that you have written down, which we will get to, you know the, that's the <laughs> yeah. difference in in Nebraska being one and eight, and basically having a it's literally a tie between points scored and and allowed. Um, yep. That completely flips the script where we go from Absolutely. one and eight to five and three or six and two, um, or mm-hmm. well, I guess my math is is messed up there. Five and four or six and three or six and Six and four, six. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not mathing right. Six and three. Yeah, six and three. Um, yeah, man. It's it's just. I rem- <laughs> I remember we were in the stadium. Blocks blocks the punt. Iowa scores on it, and I just sat down and laughed. And, yeah, so did and, I. I remember. Yep. Yeah, I Had just to. was like, I was like, all right, that's it. Uh, like, what are what's going to happen now like how to like this is the implosion right now um why am i a husker fan why Mm -hmm. like it was just stupid it was just so dumb but yeah Mm -hmm. it's it it really is telling when when we still are winning by five points and our coach goes in the post-game conference and states yeah we lost the game right then and there and it's like all right, I see where you're coming from, but geez, man, like that's got to be demoralizing for your team <laughs> to hear that, um, that your head coach loses all confidence in, in your team's ability to win a game after a po- blocked punt for a touchdown, which in Nebraska's, well, yeah. in Nebraska's defense, that that's exactly what we would expect. You know, like if that happened, yeah, it did. It's it's an L. <laughs> yep. um, and <laughs> yeah, and the fourth quarter was a was a familiar script. Unfortunately, we went into that quarter what leading twenty one to nine. We were still up twelve points, and uh, as I said earlier in the show, I was dreading the fourth quarter, even though I didn't say anything in the stadium. I still was because, especially as you pointed out, that play at the end of the third quarter when Logan dropped the ball on the ground or the mesh point didn't work or because I think the defensive end crashed down on uh, the running back. So Logan was going to pull the ball and I don't think the running back realized it. And that's why the ball ended up on the ground. Granted, he got on top of it, uh, but then that put us in second 11, go down to the other end of the field to start the fourth quarter. We don't move the ball and then we have a punt and boom, boom, punt is blocked for a touchdown. So now it's 21 to 16. Uh, And then Logan fumbles again. (laughs) So, uh, or no, he doesn't fumble. Then I think on the next series we get we ended up stopping him, but on the next series we end up uh, getting sacked for a safety, uh, or Logan does anyway because God only knows why the hell you took Ben Hart out at the beginning of one of the most important drives of the game and put Brock Bando in, uh, and then Bando's the guy that gave up the sack, so Logan gets sacked for a safety. We ended up kicking the ball back to them. They end up getting a field goal. So now the dang game is tied. And, uh, yeah, defense ends up giving up a long run, 55 yards, and then a game-winning touchdown. 
And on the ensuing drive, which looked really promising, and we were the benefactor of a couple of reviews that went our way, that took for freaking ever. I'm sitting there in the stands going, can we just get this over with? <laughs> no, we're going to lose. Can we please just get this sh over with? <laughs> uh, and then Logan throws that interception, and Frost mentioned in the post game that it was a bad throw at the wrong time. So I think Falk probably ran the right route, and Logan didn't get the communication that he was going to go on an out as opposed to a post. Even though the middle looked pretty open and Falk might have been able to score, I think the proper throw would have been to throw it on the out. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of how the fourth quarter went. It sucked. I mean, we've talked about it ad nauseum. Um, I don't know if you've got any comments on, on that there. No, I just wanted to, yeah, kind of express my disdain for the feeling of the fourth quarter being a Husker fan. <laughs> it used to be growing up and in different situations, I always had mm -hmm. like this, like, what can we do to put it all together to, to, to pull together a comeback win or cap off the, the game and seal the deal. And in recent years, man, my, mm -hmm. my mindset has completely changed. Yeah. Going into the fourth quarter, especially with that, that fumble recovery that Smothers uh, was fortunate enough to jump onto. It just, it felt like, well, mm -hmm. here we go. Um, the fourth quarter is, is always a letdown. It's, it's, it's how can we lose the game in the most heartbreaking fashion, get yourself a bingo card because Nebraska is about to scratch off another, another weird <laughs> anomalous way to lose. And, it's it was it's it was a perfect uh, example when my brother came with me to the Michigan game, and it's like you get like this this contrast of like experienced Husker fan and new, fresh, blissfully unaware of like Nebraska's history of going into fourth quarters. And you know, I'm looking at Levi, and I'm seeing my younger self. You know, like. Dude, you just got to have hope. Right. They can put something together. They they're gonna find a way to win this game. And I'm like sitting here like, no, <laughs> that doesn't happen. <laughs> it doesn't happen. It hasn't happened in a very very long time. And I just don't know mm -hmm. when it will ever happen again that we find a way to put something together that's valuable and disciplined in the fourth quarter to seal off a win or to come back and win or whatever circumstance that we're put in. And yeah, the, the fourth, the familiar fourth quarter script, as you wrote it is exactly how I felt. Um, mm -hmm. And it was just, it was just rubbing dirt in the wound when you hear a bunch of Hawkeye fans in our own stadium leading a bunch of chants and um, basically <laughs> yeah being an, an entirely autonomous crowd themselves in Memorial stadium. And that was just like, mm -hmm. well, we deserve this. We deserve this. We have yet. This was like the biggest opportunity that we've had to beat Iowa in the entire like seven game losing yeah. streak. And we literally gave it away. And that was just the worst. It was just so awful. <laughs> um, but that's pretty much my, that's my thoughts. I'm I'm done on that, I guess. Just to give you an idea of bingo, you want to play some bingo? Yeah. Uh, Nebraska gave up a blocked punt for a TD, as we saw on Friday. They've also given up a blocked point attempt for a two-point conversion. 
They've had a kickoff return for a TD, a punt return for a TD, an interception return for a TD, and a fumble returned for a TD. Bingo! That is <laughs> so painful so, to hear that. <laughs> yeah, and then, and if you think special teams doesn't matter, it does. I mean, obviously we've seen it, but according to the stats from Fox College Football account on Twitter, Nebraska scored... A total of 335 points in 2021 and allowed a total of 272. And we finished 3-9 and nine overall. But if you look specifically at our conference games, where Nebraska was 1-8, and eight, as we all clearly know, we scored a total of 239 points and gave up a total of 239 points. And 1, 2, 3, 4, four of those bingo stats I rattled off Five of those bingo stats I rattled off were uh, in conference and cost us, you know, 35 points, all five of them. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, we allowed 239 points, but a lot of that was special teams. So that kind of sucked. And then to just reiterate the same point again, again, Dave Revson from the Big Ten Network tweeted this crazy stat on Friday night. Uh, Nebraska is the first team in college football history to lose nine games by single-digit margins in the same season, which we already knew, right? They went 1-8 and eight in the Big Ten, and their combined scoring margin in those games was zero. We lost eight games by a total of 49 points, and we beat Northwestern by 49 points. The mind-boggling ways we figure out how to lose games were literally unprecedented in the history of college football. And had we lost a few games by multiple scores, I have a feeling Frost would have probably been fired short, even before the Ohio State game. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, if we would have had a blow, like even one blowout loss, or as you stated at minimum, like losing by multiple scores. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's one thing if it's like a, an Ohio State or a Michigan. It's another thing if, if we would have lost to, let's say, Purdue or Minnesota um, or, heck, even like mm -hmm. Illinois, if we would have been blown out or lost by, you know, two, two and a half, three scores, like, yeah, I think Trev Alberts would have pulled the trigger on that. Mm -hmm. um, I it's agree. It's just completely anomalous, dude. It's... It's we are literally in like some special place in hell as as Husker <laughs> as Husker fans. Um, it's I mean you can go to the you can go to the college football Reddit and there's always a talking point within a subreddit about how just torturous it must mm -hmm. be to be a Husker fan because it's like you know Michigan fans chime in. Uh, Michigan State fans chime in, OU fans chime in, and they're just like, "Yeah, dude, like it, it was it was scary thinking we were about to lose to Nebraska, but at the same time, we always had in our back pocket, ah, but yes, here is the Uno reverse card that we can have, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Nebraska will just give us give us everything we need to win." So, yeah, dude, it's it was just mind bogglingly stupid, how, you know. It's as if the football gods have decided that we get to, in every game when we're close, they give us a go-to-jail card from Monopoly. Do not pass go. Do not collect a victory. <laughs> Just go directly to 
to uh, college football hell. And and it is what it is. And, you know, for as much crap as Nebraska fans like to give uh, Kirk Herbstreet, who's not been real friendly to Nebraska for a few years, especially when it comes to way back in the day when ESPN had that poll for the greatest college football teams of all time and fans voted and it turned out that 95 Nebraska won out over 2001 Miami, and they just couldn't deal with it. Herb Street was particularly critical. Uh, but I'm like, well, it was a fan vote, dipshit. So <laughs> if the <laughs> Miami fans don't show up, why is that our fault? But uh, anyway, Herb Street said that Nebraska had a good football team. The fact that they were engaged and played hard despite so many heartbreaking losses says a lot about him, Frost, and the respect that the kids have for him. Absolutely stick with them. The kids played hard all year. You could have been 8-4 and four or 9-3. and three. Need to learn how to win the close games. I think Herb Street is dead on. Uh, but I'm kind of in the middle on how far and how patient do you stick with Frost. Um, he's literally got six games uh, to audition to keep his job starting next year because... His contract re- restructuring says that his buyout goes from $15 million down to $7.5 million as of October 1st. So, if he's anything less, I know you talked earlier about 6-6. Six and six. I don't think 6-6 six and six keeps Frost's job. I think 8-4 oh, and four yeah, does. 7-5 and five does, maybe. 8-4, and four, I think, is the goal. I know I know Alberts would never say that, but I think that's the goal. I think he needs to be four and two by halfway through the season. Otherwise I think he's gonna be shown the door. Nebraska's got plenty of money to send him out with his seven point five and then we're done paying him. And then um who knows? Maybe we hire Tom Herman as an offensive coordinator who's already been a head coach and he'd make a dynamite interim. If we don't, I think Eric Shenander's a really good option. And I think because of what Kirk Herbstreet said, that's what Alberts saw throughout this season, is that the kids respected Coach Frost and absolutely played their guts out for him, especially on defense. And I think that's why Alberts retained him. Um, I don't know. What do you think of that? I was thinking uh, that I think this whole, and this is something that we can go into further detail with our kind of postseason outlook Mm -hmm. episode, but... I really think that that loss against Michigan State was was probably the sole cause of why this season did not end up the way that it very well could have in the like hmm. like Herb Street said the 8 and 4 9 and 3 because if we would have found a way to win Michigan State which the way we would have won that game is if the punt right actually went punt right or if our special yeah. teams were at least somewhat coached to uh, have a few guys swing out left to kind of fill mm-hmm. in the gaps of, of you know, mm-hmm. a, a punt gone array. You can't just throw all of your cards and, and assuming that your punter punts it in the direction he intends it to go. Um, I think that this whole season ends up different because we get our first win against a ranked team in the, in the Frost era. We mm-hmm. find a way to win a game by like just will and i think we go into northwestern the following week we probably pull off the same 56 to 7 performance and then we go into michigan without that that little devil on the shoulder saying yes but you can find a way to lose i think that 
there's a little bit of a different mentality going into the Michigan game, and I think that turns into a win. And then the the just the stupid losses against Minnesota and Purdue, I think, change. Um, and yeah, so what sure. if we lose against Ohio State, um, or if we lose to Wisconsin? It's a completely different season. Yeah. And yeah, I did say earlier uh, six and six, um, but it was actually more implying that even if we got six and six, I think he would get fired. Okay, um, gotcha. Yes, um, I don't think. Yeah, <laughs> I think at minimum Frost needs to win seven games, and I would say the only scenario at which six and six he stays around is if we win a game or two against somebody we're not supposed to win against. And then we have the same results this season, the same way we do next season, where even though we lose six games, every single one of them is close. And Mm -hmm. to go back with what we said, if we would have lost any of these games by two scores or more, it would be a completely different scenario. Mm -hmm. And I think at the beginning of this season, I did state that this is the make or break season for Frost. And I did not foresee the like if if somebody would have told me so you think this is the make or break season for frost correct correct Mm -hmm. okay well they go three and nine is he fired oh absolutely there's no (laughs) there's no if ands or buts about it he gets fired well what if i told you that you didn't lose a single game by more than nine points i would have been scratching my head and said okay well that changes things a little bit um, I don't know mm-hmm. how I feel about Frost at that point. And that's exactly how I feel right now. I don't know yeah, how I feel about Frost. I, I am hesitantly happy that he's still here because I don't, I don't want to open up Pandora's box quite yet with firing him and just hoping that we find a head coach replacement, which this year would be the worst possible year to find a head coach replacement yeah, with no every kidding. single one of these power five teams looking for head coaches right now, Nebraska would fall so far into into the um the the coach hiring hierarchy. So I think altogether, yes, I think that Albert's retaining him is the right move. And next season is definitely make or yeah. break. If you win only win six games, every single game better be like this season where the the losses are so close that it's mm-hmm. it's 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 irrefutable that obviously our guys are still committed and still bought into the program. Mm-hmm. Seven wins or eight wins is definitely has to be has it's a must. It has to happen. Um, I agree. And minimum, minimum, minimum. And then mm-hmm. if we go to a bowl game, um, well, we have to go to a bowl game. So win. If and when we go to a bowl game, it has to be such a lights out performance that yep. it just it it solidifies at least one more year, at least one more year. I agree. Um, I agree. Well, yeah. Let's do a quick. I'm just going to wrap up the um, Iowa recap, at least the game itself, for the most part. Uh, just with a quick, <laughs> if you guys are on Twitter, any of you listening are on Twitter, a really fun follow is the Gabe Irvin Fan Club. Snarky, lighthearted for the most part, and uh, they pointed out an interesting factoid after the Ohio State game, Ohio State and Michigan game ended, and they just said simply, Ryan Day 
had more double-digit losses than Frost this year. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was very, very poignant. So, uh, anyway, why don't we move on to our players of the game. Uh, On offense, I have Logan Smothers, 16 of 22 for 198 yards, only one interception, no touchdowns, and 24 carries for 64 yards and two TDs. He was a big reason and was really good at managing the game for three quarters and a good reason why we were ahead 21 to nine going into the fourth quarter besides the defense. Um, so how about you for offense? Yep. I got Logan Smothers as well. Uh, you really can't look at any of the other box score stats and really be able to point at any other person than Logan Smothers mm-hmm. to be an impact player of the game. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, aside from a few little hiccups here and there, I think he composed himself very well. Uh, I felt like he made sound and timely decisions when he needed to. Mm-hmm. And I mean, listening to him in the post game, uh, presser, I mean, dude's mature. He seems yep. like a very mature, well-spoken, uh, articulated young kid, um, young adult, And, you know, I have... I, I have been impressed with what I've seen so far, and I hope that we see more of him next year. I agree. Whether he's a starter or not going forward with the new offensive coordinator, he definitely, with his athleticism, needs to be part of the game plan every week. There's got to be a reason to have him in the game, whether he's taking the snaps or not. So uh, defense, my defensive player of the game, even though he was fairly far down on the stats list, I thought he had a lot of impact, uh, and that was Camp Taylor-Britt. It's his last game in Memorial Stadium, which absolutely breaks my heart. Um, He had five tackles, all of them solo, which is impressive. And he had one pass that was defended. I remember that was a big-time big time play on a really difficult uh, defensive play. Yeah. Then when they did throw to his side of the field, they either missed really badly or they overthrew the receiver because he was there. You know, I think he was pretty much matched up with uh, Keegan Johnson all day, and he did a down outstanding job. I think Keegan only had one catch. Um, so mine is Cam Taylor Britt. How about you? Yeah, I've got Ben Stilley for my player of the game. I really like your pick in Cam Taylor Britt. I think that's smart. Um, the reason why I'm picking Ben Stilley is because if it wasn't for the fact that Iowa was holding him the entire game. I think his his sack column would look a lot different and his tackle for loss column Mm -hmm. would look a lot different because he was just, he was an absolute machine the whole game. Like I was watching Mm -hmm. pretty much his side of the defensive line for the majority of the game. And he just was, he was getting so much, so much pressure um and i can see why he was getting so frustrated and yelling at the referees which i'm surprised mm-hmm. that he didn't get thrown a flag for but i don't blame him he was getting held the entire game um and he he still balled out he had six total tackles four of them were solo he got half a mm-hmm. sack he had one and a half tackles for loss and he had one uh quarterback hurry uh in the book mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was just pressuring padilla and petrus all game. And mm-hmm. I think that he absolutely just balled out. I know I've said that multiple times, but homie just, just had a great had a great game. Isn't this his uh isn't this his final year too? Or is he Yeah, he's um, done. He's a super senior, so he's on that's his what way. I thought. 
Uh, probably, my guess is he's probably going to be an undrafted free agent. I and bet. he's going to catch on somewhere. I think he's going to catch on somewhere. Just, be, just for his work ethic alone. And the fact that he's really good at getting hugged from behind like Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what it looks like every time he's fixing to bust through the line. Some dude is right around like this, and the flag's never thrown. Uh, yep. So... Uh, yeah, poor Ben. I felt for him because I think he played a dynamite game and he still ended up with some really good stats considering he was getting, uh, yeah, mauled pretty much all day long. But, you know, we heard Iowa fans around us complaining about the same thing about our offensive line, too. And I'm like, well, shoot, if we want to gain any yards, we have to hold <laughs> the way this line plays. Let's move on to the plus-minus results, which is the last thing we pretty much need to talk about on the Iowa game, and we can shut the door on the 2021 season. Thank God. Uh, I was leading 11-5 to going into this game. My plus-minus was 140 yards rushing, given up by the Blackshirts, and really, quite frankly, up until that big run that, uh, what was his name, Goodson? Yeah. His last name, Goodson. Yeah, that big 55-yard run and then the touchdown that he scored. Nebraska had held him under 140. Uh, but I guess the plus, they ended up with 186 yards of rushing, so I got a point there. You had guessed the minus, so there was no point. And then yours was, yeah, plus or minus five receptions by Austin Allen. I had guessed the plus. You guessed the number. Austin had two, unfortunately. So neither one of us got a point there. So we are at, uh, I won. This year, twelve to five, and you won at this point. Unless we're going to pick some uh, pick some championship games yet today, which I never did write any of those down. So, <laughs> if you want, we can pick the championship games uh, to to do our six pack picks of the week. Although I don't think there's six of them that I care about picking. So, um, <laughs> anyway, I won twelve to five. We had a couple of listeners, uh, three of them, in fact, that played along with us on Facebook.com. Um, your sister finished third, uh, Michael, my buddy, Michael D from, um, Alabama won with a total of three points. So he will be joining us on our season preview show. I've been talking with him about it, our live stream or whatnot that we're going to do in August of 2022. He's got a nice gaming headset and kind of deal that he has set up that he's hoping to start his own podcast this next year. So I don't know if it'll be Huskers, but he's become a Husker fan as a result of our show, which is kind of cool. Um, it's like he said, he said, I don't give two craps about Auburn and I hate Nick Saban. I'm like, well, good. You can be a Husker fan because we just hate <laughs> life right now. <laughs> so, and then your buddy Luke M came in second and he can join us for our spring game review show and live stream in April. I haven't really contacted him yet about that. If he doesn't want to, then by default, your sister will join us. So that'll be fun. Um, nice. and then in association with those two shows, we're also going to do six uh, live streams as well, uh, and we will record the audio on them, so they will be our podcast as well, called the um, Big Red Roundtable. We'll begin doing those once a month in January, so January, February, and March will be Big Red Roundtable episodes. Uh, and the audio-only show will continue, and then um, we'll have discussions with other fans and other podcasts. So I think the first one will probably have the Husker Cuzcast with us. I think we should have another podcast or two that will join us as well for a couple of others. And then from May through June after the – after the um, or July, May through July, my bad. After the um, April spring game review show with Luke, 
we will be doing three more Big Red Roundtables, and then we will do our season preview in August. So if you want to be a part of any of those Big Red Roundtables, please send us a message at genrpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on your favorite podcast app. Just do a search for Generation Red, and you should find us. We also have a website at genredpod.com where you can listen to and download the show right from your browser or subscribe to us via your uh the provided links gosh i was doing so well and then i completely flubbed it (laughs) we're also on social media uh genredpod on facebook.com or at genredpod on twitter our youtube channel is generation red live which is where you will find the big red round table as well as our regular podcast once a month during the off season as well as uh once a week during the season that's going to be fun trying to record the audio only version a law in conjunction with a live stream, but I think we'll figure it out <laughs> and any other questions, comments or suggestions, or if you want to be a part of one of those big red round tables, send us an email at genrpodcast at gmail.com. So that's pretty much it. We appreciate you guys being patient while we sat here and did another therapy session after the, um, Iowa game. I am Ken. He's Scott. Together we are Generation Red. We're not going anywhere. It's been a hell of a year to start a podcast, but by God, it's still been fun in its really weird uh, self-flagellation sort of way. (laughs) And here's hoping next year gets a little bit better. Anyway, thanks again for listening. And remember, no matter what, and I don't give two craps from Sunday how good they are or the fact that they came back and scored 22 unanswered points on us. At least we can take solace in the fact that Iowa's corn still sucks, and there really is no place like Nebraska. I mean, come on. What 3-8 and eight team do you know packs 86,000 people in their stadium still? We're it. <laughs> and on that note, uh, yeah, go Big Red. Iowa can suck a dick. Um, and <laughs> Another bleep. <laughs> yep, yep. I've been the, I've been the bleep show this this uh, episode, and yeah, thank you guys for listening. It's been it's been a hell of a ride, and we look forward to uh, hopefully sunnier and brighter days with with better corn. So um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Go big red. Go big red. Continuing the conversation into the off season. So we will see you next week for our season wrap up. This podcast is not associated in any official capacity with the University of Nebraska or the Cornhusker football team. All opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts alone and are intended for entertainment purposes only. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Stay sweet and salty and go Big Red.